Same China, different stories. We are the ones that found our way in a new life. Adopted babies, adopted babies from China. I'm Tara. Hello. I am excited to talk with another Chinese adoptee. I should say a new adoptee because I have had Katie with me so far, but for now she won't be joining with me to record. She's currently working on her memoir, and as soon as she reaches a good place, both mentally and emotionally, I plan to bring her back. And I would really love for her to also interview with adoptees, but for right now, I am respecting her space. I have with me Casey. Hey, hi, Casey. <laughs> Casey lives in Florida, and she works as a sales engineer in IT, and is also a model. So Casey and I actually met. This is the second time we're meeting digitally, of course, in this current circumstance. And we actually met the same way that I met Katie, which is through the CCI Facebook group. I admit I was really surprised when I got your email because I put the call out, and within minutes, Casey had sent an email. So I'm really grateful you did that. And I was wondering if you could tell me more about what got you to respond to the call out or join the CCI group as well. I'm sorry that Katie couldn't be here today on this interview. Hopefully, I'll get to meet her next time. But in regards to your、mm-hmm. question about how I came about the CCI group and on this call. That kind of leads me to more of, you know, how I got there to begin with. Because even though I live in Florida right now, I grew up in Southern Mississippi, and so there wasn't a lot of adoption interaction、um, in terms of other adoptees who were a lot like me. So I kind of grew up thinking I was basically, you know, one in a million. Like there were not a lot of people who had the same type of background as me, and it was pretty difficult. I'm not gonna lie. Trying to figure myself out and figure out like、mm-hmm. everything in a way by myself.、Um, that being said, I was only I'm an only child as well,、um, and I have no other adoptee friends or you know I didn't have a lot of close friends either because of the whole not being able to really fit in. Leading to how I found out about the CCI group, I it wasn't until sophomore year of college that. I revisited the fact that I wanted to find my parents, and I utilized a lot of the、uh, social media resources and came across the CCI page. And now that you know I'm in college, I'm older,、um, I understand social media a little bit better than when I was much younger, like early teens.、Mm-hmm. I think it was the very first time I ever had the notion to look for my parents. But when I saw the CCI group, I was so overwhelmed. I didn't realize how many. Asian adoptees,、mm-hmm. there are in the not only like in the world, but like here in the U.S. What I did notice though is from the comments,、uh, a lot of them are from more the northern region. That is something that's a little bit different than、uh, most other adoptees compared to me. And in addition, just kind of understanding, you know, how their adoption has related to their life.、Um, I really connected and was able to express myself, and so I've been pretty active in this group. Everyone's kind of at an age where they're like in their twenties; they're starting to realize like、mm-hmm. what they want in life, their purpose in life, and、um, now that they are a little bit more educated, they can really express themselves. 
And so this is part of my way of expressing myself is by reaching out to people and telling people about my story and what it's like to be an adoptee here in America, especially given my tip, my more specific background. And yeah, so I kind of want to be not like a motivational speaker, but just give people the knowledge of just mm -hmm. our, our situation itself. And, you know, the obstacles that we were facing and growing up as an interracial family, um, that's a lot of the reason why I really uh, advocate in teaching other people about, about us um, or about adoptees. So when I ran across mm -hmm. your post on creating a podcast, I thought this would be a perfect opportunity to tell people about my story. And I hope the very best that you continue with this podcast because I think it can really go far and some impacts a lot of people. And I think a lot of people mm -hmm. can get a lot of information from this. So I'm glad you're doing it. I'm really glad. <laughs> and I'm glad to be here. I'm really glad you feel that way. <laughs> I, I definitely agree that it's already doing the podcast. I've connected with a lot of Chinese adoptees and people related to international adoption as well with like helping families meet. But so far, it's had some pretty good yeah, results. Um, and so... Same with me. Like, I have a Asian pen pal. Never met her, but, like, we talk often. And I live my life through her sometimes. It's great. <laughs> uh, and then I've also connected with another person who connected me with another organizer. There's an adoption conference that I was never aware of that I'm thinking about going to this summer in Colorado. So, really. Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't know there was one either because I, I remember when I was searching about Chinese adoption, I think the algorithm and Google brought the South Korean institution because they have a very organized adoption group, I want to mm -hmm. say. They have a conference, I believe, every year that's huge with a lot of Korean adoptees who go back. Yeah. So um, that's interesting that we have one. I'm excited to actually see um, all these people in, in person, even though, you know, we're chatting through, uh, FaceTime and things like that. I've never actually met any of these um, people on the CCI group and it'll be, it'll be a cool experience. I'm excited. Oh. Hopefully it'll actually still happen to be honest <laughs> to the whole, oh, right. <laughs> whole thing going on right now, but. I hear you. I actually really wanted to speak more with you about some insight into being, I guess, like a Chinese kid in the South, because I met my exposure and a lot of adoptees, as you said, and I'm glad you pointed this out, that a lot of posts or sharing about Chinese adoption are with children in the Northern Hemisphere in the U.S. Would you be able to provide a little bit more insight about growing up? Chinese in the South? Did you feel like you had to be Chinese or is there certain expectations that people had of you? Yeah, so that is one of the biggest thing that I've noticed in terms of interacting with a lot of people on the CCI group, trying to understand their reasoning and their connection with adoption or adoption self. But for me, I've always really struggled because growing up from the South, there it's very one way it's very one um everyone there is pretty much this bread breaded the same way i think in bigger cities you can really be yourself and it's very much diverse and so feeling okay. different is kind of okay because you can embrace that different differentness 
But in regards mm-hmm. to being in the South, um, my hometown is 15,000 people, very small. Everyone went to the mm. same school. Everyone knew each other. There wasn't a time where you walk out the door and you didn't know someone. But because I grew up from the South, we have this type of over-encompassing culture that you have to maintain and be. Even though I am Asian, I at heart think that I'm pretty much white because I'm like a typical (laughs) white girl. Like I like monograms. I own a pair of cowboy boots, like riding horses. Dirt does not bother me (laughs) at all. Like you looking at me and like talking with me, you probably would have not guessed, but I can jam out to some country music now. So that's like something interesting. Um, But the, the biggest thing or the biggest struggle in terms of being adopted, I was also raised as a only child and as more or less a single parent. Even though I saw at the beginning, my parents were together and my dad has lost his job during the adoption. And in fact, he, they had to go through a second process to make sure that my family was stable enough to even adopt. And also I was not actually their first choice. So if, I don't know how, if you guys know how the adoption work, but the, in China, they literally just send a picture to the parents who want to adopt a, um, a child. And that parent says yes or no. It's not the parent mm-hmm. chooses. Um, but the thing is, the, parent, the picture that was sent to my parents, the, typically children are adopted at a very young age. Like within months, within weeks of being born. Right. So for me, my story is apparently... And I say apparently because, of course, nothing is completely known. Um, I was uh, I was in the fa- my birth family place for the first year, and then I was abandoned. And then supposedly a policeman found me and gave me his family name, which comes first in, in how you say it. And then he named me. And then I was put in an adoption care for two and a half years until I was finally adopted at three and a half. And so when I was three and a half, mm-hmm. um, I was a little bit older than most of the, um, the babies there. And since my parents are older, I was a perfect fit for them. Um, so that's, mm. that's the main reason why um, I'm also a little bit different than the other adoption, because I've got that uh, couple of years of, uh, I don't want to say like experience, but mm-hmm. a couple of years of like more unknown, like when when you're adopted when mm-hmm. you're months old there's not a lot of life that you don't know but when you get adopted when you're mm-hmm. like three and a half you've got more years where you have zero clue um i have zero idea mm-hmm. of what happened in the first three three and a half years of my life so that's really interesting and then regarding oh, to yeah. my parents they ended up divorcing when i was 12 and my dad since mm-hmm. he had lost his job traveled traveled a lot in order to find a job Mm. I grew up basically trying to figure out who I am by myself I didn't have a lot of support Mm -hmm. in terms of people who could understand um I had a lot of love for my mom not so much for my dad but um Mm -hmm. even today uh talking to my mom about adoption is not something that I can do um, mainly because she, uh-huh. she really just does not get it. Um, and it's not that she doesn't care about me, but she, she can't 
understand. Like she can't make that connection. For yeah. example, this whole like pandemic thing that's happening. It actually started in Wuhan, China and Wuhan, China is where I was initially known to be born. Um, so at the beginning of the root of all this, like back in like January. So right now it's what, um, April. Yeah. End of Almost April. The end so of it's April. been a while, but towards the beginning of this whole thing, I literally like panicked because I had thought my entire family had died in Wuhan because of how um, large the death rate was there and how uncontrollable this mm -hmm. disease was. And I later told my mom and she would, she straight up was like, like baby girl, you haven't seen them in 20 years. Like basically how could you possibly mm. have any type of emotional connection to them? Um, but that's just some, that's just an example of um, why it's very difficult for me to really express myself um, and to have, make that connection mm -hmm. um, with my own, you know, adopted mom or dad. Um, and just, you know, growing up by myself, it was, it was a little, it was tough. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I hear. I see. I shouldn't say I hear. <laughs> well, actually, I do hear you. <laughs> and I have two older brothers who my parents had two sons, and then they wanted to have a daughter. So I I say that's great that they yeah, wanted so, a daughter. Yeah, my <laughs> mom four years old. <laughs> have kids for medical reasons, and that's why that's the purpose I'm here. <laughs> hey, I mean, so now that you're living in a larger city. Uh, yes, down in Florida, Florida, correct? I don't, I don't know where you. Miami. Okay, area. Southern Florida, <laughs> Miami area. Okay, I guess that's very fitting if you enjoy the culture of, I guess, stereotypical <laughs> white girl. Yeah, I love the beach, <laughs> but I, I don't really know. Being outside, so which is oh, okay. not happening right now, of course. But <laughs> oh yeah, timely, of course. I guess I know you mentioned your hometown mm -hmm. is Wuhan. I was wondering, have you had the opportunity to travel to China? Have you wanted to go back so at all? So I've actually or? never been. There hasn't really been, like, a time that's right for me. Um, I think it'll eventually, like, play itself out, and there will be a time where I can go back. Um, the biggest reason, one, is because I don't have that connection with my mom, um, I can't be supported financially, um, or I don't feel the support. Mm -hmm. uh, I probably can be supported financially, but I don't feel the emotional support with that. Um, so I'd feel like I'd be dragging her along or like doing it by myself. And I, that's not something it's a little too emotional for someone. I feel like to try to take all of it in by themselves. Um, even if your parents mm -hmm. don't go with you, like at least you have their uh, emotional support and they understand really. I was just, I kind of avoided the whole Asian culture of myself. Um, it was always like, go, go, go mm -hmm. when I was younger. Um, so like I grew up as a very serious athlete. Um, I got into college and studied chemical engineering. Um, I worked my way through college um, and, you know, did a, was in several different um, clubs and extracurricular activities. And it wasn't, it's not until um, me moving down to Flor uh, Florida after I graduated um, that I really can kind of think and um, possibly ha have my life go to that direction of um, possibly going to China. Um, I've thought of 
several times possibly teaching English in China. I did a little bit of research mm-hmm. on that. And in fact, Chinese people or Chinese government does not in fact like Asian people teaching English. So that is something mm. interesting because we we grew up in um, in the United States. We clearly know uh, English, but it's the fact that on the mm-hmm. outside, we do not look like we're English. Even mm-hmm. though we would probably be the best fit to teach Chinese kids uh, because we know we know English and we um, I'm actually currently studying Chinese now. Um, they actually don't want an Asian person teaching an English class. And I thought that was very interesting when I did that research. Um, but other than that, I mm. haven't really had the chance to go uh, back to China. And I think that's something that I have to also mentally prepare myself um, because it's a lot to right. take in. <laughs> oh, yes. it's. I, I had heard somewhere recently in some of my research too, I believe it was actually another podcast that was in existence a couple of years ago and they were speaking specifically to searching that it's a good idea to sort of evaluate where you are every few years or so. It's, it's I mean, cause your perception or your opinion of what you feel mm-hmm. you're comfortable with is going to change as you go through experiences. And yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's why I'm doing this podcast. And that's also why you, yeah. you join the CCI group. So it's, it, it's, it's always shifting, which is something that I think people feel they're not allowed to maybe sometimes as an adoptee that we're, we have to have one decision that mm-hmm. I want to search for my parents and you have to stick to that or because right, right. it can shift. That's like, oh, I don't really feel comfortable wanting to search for my parents right now or family. But right. in a few years, that could change. For me, like, so. I enjoy where my life is now. My mom and I actually have a very mm-hmm. tight uh, connection. Like, I tell her everything um, aside from, like, the whole um, the whole adoption side. But in terms of, like, who I am, my insecurities, um, like, everything like that, I can be completely honest with her. Another thing, though, is, like, it takes a lot of work to find your parents it's not something that you can just mm-hmm. pick up and say oh I want to find my parents and then succeed basically there's a lot of um, right. unknown factors there's a lot of struggling there's a lot of dead ends and those are the things you have to be prepared for um, I've talked to other people who were adopted too and and not adopted like a Chinese adoption but other people who were adopted within domestically and and okay. they understand me to a point and they're like, oh, what if you go find your parents? Like, that's such a cool story. Like, you know, um, and I tell them, yeah, it is a cool story, but you don't really understand the difficultiness of finding your parents is so hard. There's billions of Chinese people. The records that are kept <laughs> um, in China are not like organized. And even then, some of the records that they have maybe um, inaccurate or corrupt in some way, it's hard to know what to believe. Like, I thought I believed Mm -hmm. the initial story of me um, and how I got abandoned and all that kind of stuff. But after watching, um, and it was, in fact, the One Child Policy movie, um, I I honestly, too, questioned about, you know, if that story 
of how I even mm-hmm. made it to the orphanage was even real. I felt kind of like I was backtracking of what I knew. <laughs> um, and here I am like 22 right. years old and I'm backtracking. <laughs> oh yes. Because one child nation yeah, was a one child nation. Policy, uh, yeah. It was one child nation. Based on the, yes. Based on the policy. It's okay. I can't remember many documentaries. I've only seen a few about Chinese adoption and culture, but the documentary specifically, I think, talks a lot about crime within China, too, with mm-hmm. uh, like yeah. trafficking. So It's amazing. Uh, that's a whole, right, and I think that's not something that really gets discussed amongst a ch- Chinese adoptees, I want to say. Could be wrong, but I thought that was really interesting that you brought that up, too, because is it, what's the validity mm-hmm. in the statements that they make? Even in that and documentary, even the too. fact that most of the adoptees, like you said, the whole trafficking, most of the adoptees are Asian girls because, you know, um, guys were way more favored mm-hmm. because they could carry on the family lineage, lineage um, and right. they could uh, provide for their family and they look down on female. That's, that's another aspect of trying to um, self-identify yourself, like... Not only are you identifying mm-hmm. in a racial sense, but you're also identifying yourself in a gender sense. Like, you know, why why was right. I given up because I was a woman? Like, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. things like that, too. Um, oh, yeah. And unfortunately, the gender identification and challenges with that is everywhere uh, in America or I think abroad too in Europe, but I, I don't know for sure. I think in general, that's definitely a sentiment that is true too, is the gender in yeah, addition the, to like, the Yeah, like the race. validity of the fact that because you're a girl, you weren't wanted. I, at least I did. I at least grew up, I was like, wow, if I was a guy, like none of this would happen. Like I would not be in the situation I am in now. <laughs> um, and I've also actually was bold enough in college, I asked my mom, like, why did you choose international adoption? Why, like, mm. what is the reason for that? Um, so I did a little bit of research, of course, because I'm big into research. One, when China implemented the whole adoption, they made it really easy to adopt versus adopting domestically. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a lot more time domestically, a lot more loops to go through. What was interesting about my mom's Uh, answer to my question was she was afraid that my birth parents would find me and like okay I get that but a little bit was like ouch (laughs) um Mm -hmm. that's interesting I because I do think I mean our parents are our parents too and well I mean we're all human but humans themselves we all have our insecurities too so it's really raw that your mom shared that with you and that's actually very genuine too uh, but that's probably a huge insecurity that she was yeah. facing herself well, she well. told me like when she when she got me like she didn't think she could be a good mom and that also goes to the fact she has insecurities of her own but also mm. like the fact that it's hard for her to relate yes i agree with that <laughs> i agree wholeheartedly there too let's take a break Moving more just on a relatable level with your career, I mean, you're 
you're, I would say, relatively new or out of graduating from college and university, and you have a pretty good position with your job, I would say, but you also have an interest in modeling. I mean, you're tall, and I say this, of course, in a very kind way. People who know me well will understand this, but it's like <laughs> you're very you. attractive, I too. That. So <laughs> I noticed immediately when we first talked, oh, wow, she's really great facial structure. She's very tall. And then, of course, I checked your Instagram, Hey, you got to do that when you start meeting people. Yeah, I know. <laughs> me creep. Well, I already talked about how I creeped on this other adoptee and his YouTube channel. So <laughs> that's a whole hey, other thing. It's so common so now. Like, I'm admitting that I'm creeping. It is. Yeah. Oh, no, I own up to it at least. But yes, so your career, what your thoughts are, especially moving forward in the next, because I mean, you'll have to check in with yourself again, I'm sure, so, in yeah, four or five I'm years. Definitely had a lot of time to think during this, you know, quarantine moment. Mm. In terms of my career, so as I mentioned, um, when I was younger, I was a swimmer and I was an athlete. And I really, that was my identity. Like being a swimmer was my identity. And to, like, just can I give you a basis? I broke my first state record when I was 12. And, like, people thought I was going to be, like, making it to the Olympics by the time I was 15 and all that kind of stuff. And I was supposed to go to college, um, like, D1 division and swim. And I kind of hit rock bottom high, during high school due to a lot of, like, other life issues. And it just kind of mm. overwhelmed me. And I actually um, suffered from depression for a couple of uh, years. So, but then mm-hmm. when I moved to go to college, I ended up going to a college that's very close to home. I told myself, like, I'm going to make the best of this. So I pushed myself to do things that were out of my comfort zone. I became um, a little bit more extroverted, tried to join um, lots of different uh, extracurricular activities and clubs and try to take leadership in it. Something that was completely unheard of for me because as a child um, I was very introverted kept all the thoughts to myself really didn't think I fit in anywhere and the thought of like talking about any of this was over my head I really practiced on myself Mm -hmm. in college Um, I ended up majoring in chemical engineering um, ended up doing pretty well in it and got my job here in Florida with Citrix as a sales engineer and I really like it. I think the per- one of the purposes why I decided to do sales engineer is one, I found out I hated chemical engineering. Like working in the middle of nowhere, not my <laughs> thing. I've, I'm a little bit more social than that. And so I decided to uh, I decided to change my path a little bit and do sales engineer. And I'm hoping that it'll, you know, open me up because I have a lot of knowledge. I have a lot I want to share with people. And getting the hurdle of really learning how to public speak, learning how to talk without feeling too nervous about people judging me or having my insecurities overtake me. Part of that is is also trying to be more out there and doing things because I want to do it. So now that I'm in South Florida and in a bigger city, I've realized this is where my potential is. Whether I still continue to be a sales engineer, um, or whether I decide to change jobs or anything like that, or whether I decide to become a model. I think part of the reason why I decided to become a model is I've always been told I should become a model due to my height and my 
cheekbone structure, as you said. <laughs> um, but now that I'm like in South Florida, I can actually uh, get that going. Um, mm-hmm. And then just really becoming more publicly known and trying to influence and just talk about my life and being authentic with people is one of my biggest biggest things I want to achieve in life is just being completely authentic, being feeling like I can be right. completely myself um, in front of whatever crowd, um, mm-hmm. because that was something that I struggled with when I was much younger. When we first met, the listening rate went from seven to 27. You'll have at least 20 other people who will know Yay! of your <laughs> name. <laughs> I think we actually got through all the questions. <laughs> I said, do you still like swimming? So, okay. Do you want to ask that? So, Do you um, still like swimming? I do like swimming, but I no longer do it for... I, I used to love swimming when I was much, much younger until um, my dad really pushed me and it became not fun anymore. Um, and I think I stuck with it because that was kind of like the only thing I felt like I was good at. So, And I was too invested into it. In regards of, you know, swimming p- competitively, no, I don't, I don't think I'll ever go back to swimming competitively. But I, I appreciate the lessons it taught me mm-hmm. um, of, you know, being a team um, being driven. So I don't regret ever like dedicating my entire childhood swimming. I, I am a pretty right. good, decent swimmer and I will probably be able to outswim you. Yeah. I'm that confident. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. I did that more for the recreational and the, well, swimming became a really big part of my life too. It was actually one of the first things introduced to me when I came to the States too mm-hmm. was a pool when my mom was teaching me english to prepare for school so i could stay in line with everybody else in the class during the age group we would do words like vocabulary words and my reward post education lesson was we would go to the pool so So, went to the pool every day because we had discovered that i really like swimming these are the stories that are told to me too yeah so by my parents i believe it because i love swimming i do love it like Really now, uh, okay. Like the fact that whenever right. I came to America, okay. I loved broccoli and green beans and like my greens. Like I, the way my mom talks mm. about me whenever I first came to America, I was an angel child. I ate everything. I never spilled a thing. <laughs> I didn't cry. I'm growing up, and I feel like I'm getting worse at all that. I'm <laughs> like, I don't know. It's it's really funny. Is there anything you would want to hear from other adoptees or anything you would want to hear from people who are related to adoption? I have been looking at the opportunity to maybe speak with some people Mm -hmm. who are very focused and searching. That would be an opportunity to look into. Yeah. um, Per se. I guess in terms of hearing from other adoptees, um, honestly, just understanding their perception of everything. There's nothing really specific I would say I want to hear from them, but just the wholesome picture of their their life. Because even though we all have the same beginning, we definitely didn't grow up the same way. We all have mm-hmm. a completely different view. Even though some of them stem from the same things, we react differently to it. And so 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the biggest, the most interesting part. And to have people just um, accept really who they are and, you know, accept the fact that they have insecurities, that there are other people who have the same ones and, it, you know, it's okay. You have an excuse. Like, give yourself a mm-hmm. little break. Don't be so hard on yourself. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, I find this specifically Chinese adaptees. That's where the whole beginning comes mm-hmm. from. The same China, different stories. We all found our way in a new life. It, this is an opportunity for other Chinese adoptees to just hear stories. And if they want to connect, then they should. I am finding speaking with other Chinese adoptees, they're all very approachable, even the ones who've done documentaries or have done interviews specifically. A lot of adoptees are very receptive to telling their story because they know that they're different. Um, And they have a lot of, a lot to tell. In fact, I personally, one of these days, my goal is to write a book about my life experiences um, because I do think it's still Mm -hmm. unique, even Aside from being adopted, um, I've had a lot of other life experiences that kind of put me in a turn um, in my life. And so I've, mm-hmm. I've had to grow from that as well. And I think just having people understand you, um, I think that's really all it's, what it's all about uh, when it comes to connecting with people is trying to understand the other person and really opening mm-hmm. up and letting the other person understand you better i mean and <laughs> there's people you don't have to open up to as well so <laughs> i've learned yeah, that there's recently. some people who won't be receptive uh, to so, what you say and you know that's okay um exactly i you know i i grew up thinking everyone had to like me and i didn't i like didn't want to step on anyone's toes i was definitely a people mm-hmm. pleaser um and i still am you know somewhat of a people pleaser but my thinking is you know if I'm being, if I'm nice and I'm doing everything that, you know, I'm supposed to do uh, with a genuine heart, and if they're still mean back to me, then it's, it's not on, it's not on me. It's something going on in their life. And so, you know, I can't, I can't take that personally. Mm-hmm. Work, you're working on your own <laughs> growth. Can't do both. Appease both. Uh, well, yeah. would you like um, to so share your Instagram? You guys can go ahead and follow me. The handle is Wagner. Dot KC, so it's Wagner W A G O N E R dot Casey K A Y S I E. And fun fact, I actually made up my first name. So yeah, I have several different names. Ah. The first one is one I don't really know. Um, the second one is my Chinese name that was given to me. And then I had another name that people know me prior to um, college. And then college from now i go by casey wagner oh okay because i when your email came through i was like casey i get that a lot. i don't think I i've seen it spelled that way myself. either it's not it direct, definitely unique okay from my mom or an honor of her um because her middle name is k k-a-y-e um so i derived my name casey from her oh. um because she had cancer when i was 10 and so she's still alive and she's still healthy but it definitely mm. was impacting part of my life um due to the fact that my dad also was not that great of a person and I got rid of Mm -hmm. his last name as well as the name that was given to me by him and I converted it all to my mom and her maiden name and yeah 
that's how it happened. <laughs> oh wow! As I, I think I only, I I only identify. Yeah, with I have two several names. names like <laughs> in part. Crazy. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. So that's Wagner Casey. Okay, so people can follow you there. All right. Well, I I would say that's all the questions I have that I really wanted to dive into with you here. It's really good to connect with you. We'll have to keep this going now that we started this. Yeah, little, for sure. We'll definitely have you know, to communication line. Um, <laughs> and there's there's just so much, you know, there's so much we could talk about. There's so much that we can cover, um, especially mm-hmm. deep diving into like the emotional part of it the whole uh be- mm-hmm. the acceptance um you know a lot of that you have to start right. from the bottom and you 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 kind of mm-hmm. you kind of like start from nothing in a sense and so everything you have you're some you're appreciative of i feel like um in some aspects and it's the emotional aspect of this too is why uh, I decided that Katie probably shouldn't do any interviews while she's writing her memoir because I think her story when you hear other adoptee stories it could really I guess sort of interfere or add some noise to your story so when you write a memoir or when you're ready to off the I will Katie, you should definitely connect with Katie on that one I'm excited well it was really fun to have you First, you're the first adoptee, yeah, and so I'm really glad so it reached like said, <laughs> to some people. Ever, people. If you want to jump on again, chat about some other things, I'll be happy to keep conversation. Thank you for listening to ABC. We are on major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify. Email adoptedbabiesfromchina at gmail.com, or you can DM. Adopted Babies from China Pod on Instagram if you would like to share your story. Bye! Bye, Casey!